Thank you. Oh, that was loud. Sorry, friends. <laughs> Would you pray with me as we start up this morning? Good and gracious God, we thank you for the chance to be together this morning, to worship together and to um, sing your praises, God. As we dive into a familiar story this morning, God, would you um, be with us? Would you open our eyes and our hearts um, to see and to hear you in, um, in new ways this morning? We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. And all God's children said, Amen. Well, this morning it is pajama slash Christmas sweater sweatshirt Sunday, so I thought I would bless you with my This Is My Hallmark Watching sweatshirt. Yes, thank you. I don't know if any of you caught any Hallmark movies this, this Christmas season. Um, there's still time, so they're out there for you if you feel the need to do that. Um, this morning, our kids are in the service with us, and they are going to get to go on a special, fun adventure. Um, we are talking this morning about the story of the wise men and following the star, and so kids, you have the opportunity to go follow the star and learn and read the scripture in really fun ways. So if you are interested, you can follow that star and Heidi and go on a really fun adventure, and any youth that are in here and want to be helpful on the journey can also join. So you can get up now. You're going to go follow Heidi and read the scripture. And when you come back, you'll get to color this really cool um, banner. So head on, follow Miss Heidi. She will take you out on an adventure. It's going to be super fun. Have fun. We'll, we'll see you when you get back. There's a couple more coming. Yeah. So fun. I really like those Christmas PJs, friends. Yeah. So this morning we are turning to Matthew chapter 2. So while we uh, send our kids out, um, if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, um, we are going to hear a very, very familiar story this morning. Um, we are talking about the wise men, and you um, probably have heard this story a lot of times, but we're going to just clear up some factual information because most of you probably have a nativity set at home right? And probably within your nativity set, there are three pieces. They probably have crowns. They're probably holding something. And you, when you set up your nativity, you probably put those three people in the nativity. And here's the thing, friends. Um, the wise men were not actually like present at the birth with the shepherds. And this is probably one of my big like inaccuracy things. So I have a new Advent tradition for your families. Are you ready for this? When you take out your Christmas decorations in the beginning of December, early November, whenever it is you decorate your uh, family home, and you take out the nativity set, set everything up, put the shepherds, put in Mary and Joseph. If you really want to be biblically, biblically accurate, don't put baby Jesus in there until Christmas Eve. But if you want to, go ahead, throw it in there. And then take your wise men, not throw it in there. That was a bad choice of words. I'm so sorry. Can we just like start that over again? Just pretend that that didn't happen. Thank you. Place baby Jesus in there if you wish. But take the three wise people, men, and hide them somewhere 
not near your nativity, right? And so then throughout the Christmas season, you can move them closer and closer to the nativity, but don't like put them in the nativity yet. I mean, it's your house, do what you want. But this could be a really fun Christmas Advent tradition. And then every Sunday, just move them like a little bit closer. Like maybe they started in the kitchen on top of the fridge. And then the next Sunday, you can put them like in um, the dining room, And then the next Sunday, you can put them in the living room, but like in a different section. And then on, uh, well, actually, technically speaking, we celebrate Epiphany, which is the Sunday of the wise men, which is not till next Sunday. So even here, we're a week off. But on Epiphany Sunday, you can put them in the manger with Jesus, with everybody. They're celebrating. They probably weren't like in the manger. It's, there's a lot of like things that we celebrate that are not like super biblically accurate, but We know Jesus was born, he was our savior. That's the important part of the story. The wise men traveled to, we're just gonna stop talking about biblical inaccuracies now, but that's a really fun Advent tradition that you could start in your family, bring the wise men in slowly as the Christmas season goes on. And it's just a fun thing to add to your to-do list every Sunday of Advent. Moving, it's like Elf in the Shelf, but different. It's not like Elf on the Shelf. Um, All right, let's get into the Bible story, shall we? Yeah, you can tell. It's that Sunday after Christmas. We're just, we're feeling it this morning. We are going to be in the story of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. So we're going to camp out here. If you want to open your Bible to it and leave it open, you can take some notes as we talk through this story. Um, But let's hear the story, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw this star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the laws, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. When Herod, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route." This story is one of my favorite stories, but it also leaves me with a lot of questions. In these 12 verses, we don't get a lot of details about all of the different people in this story, but we've been able to piece together some things throughout history and throughout studying the Bible. And so we're just going to kind of dive into this text and see what we can learn from the wise men. What can we learn from these magi who traveled from afar to meet baby Jesus? So the first question that I always have is, 
Who are these wise men? Who are the Magi? And um, what's interesting is that the word that we uh, have in here that sometimes is translated to wise men, sometimes is translated to scholars from the East, um, sometimes it's Magi, it um, kind of talks about it being um, like someone who studies the stars. So the idea that we would have in our current day is like an astrologer. So it's people who lived in the East who studied the stars and knew all about astrology and the stars. And they had heard these prophecies of the um, Israel people that there was going to be a Messiah born and that one of the signs of the Messiah would be a star, would be um, a heaven kind of glory of um, this magical star is what it would seem. So they knew that that was happening. They knew that if they found a star and that it was over a certain area that it would be celebrating the birth of the king of the Jews. They knew that much, but they didn't really know like all of the details of it because the reality is the wise men, the Magi, were not of Jewish heritage. They were not of the Jewish faith. They had read some things, but they weren't really like in it. So they see this star, this light in the sky as they're studying the sky. They notice a change. They see the light, and they're drawn to the light. They're drawn to go see this newborn king, which would have been pretty customary for other nations to come and celebrate the birth of a king. So they're drawn to this star, and they start to make this journey. As I was reading about this story this week, uh, Ruth Haley Barton says, the story of the wise men is about a longing for God that cannot be quelled. Isn't that a great? A longing for God that cannot be quelled. I don't know if the wise men had a name for what the longing or the feeling of being drawn to this star was, but they felt it. They felt this drawing towards this star, this idea of going and worshiping this newborn king. They felt like they needed to do that, even though they weren't Jewish. This wasn't their newborn king, but they felt drawn to something by this star. So they embark on this journey to Jerusalem, assuming that this is where the king of the Jews would be born. They assume that if they're looking for the new king, that they should go to Judah and go to Jerusalem, which is like the capital city, and they would find this newborn king, which is logical, but not exactly where the baby is, right? So they go to Jerusalem and they meet Herod, which is where my next question comes into mind, is who is this Herod dude and what is his deal, right? So as I was reading up on Herod, it talks about how as a king, Herod was like really effective. Like politically, he like did a really great job. He had some really great building projects. He was a, he was a good king, but his one downfall was that he was a little bit paranoid of losing power. His one downfall was that he was so hungry for power that there are stories that he would assassinate his own family members so that they could not like rise up against him. So when he hears from the wise men that there is a newborn king of the Jews, king of Judah, he's like, hold on, but I'm the king of Judah and those are my people. And so he gets a little bit nervous and so he calls in the people that would know. Because remember, King Herod, like he doesn't know the story. So he calls in the chief priests. He calls in the scribes, which brings in my next question. Who are these chief priests and scribes? And why are they not going to see Jesus? But that's a whole other thing. 
So he calls in these people, the chief priests who would take care of the temple, the chief scribes who would be the people who studied and taught the Old Testament, the people who would know all of the prophecies. He calls them in and he says, okay, where is this new like supposed king of the Jews supposed to be? Like, where is this happening? And so they tell him, they read this prophet um, from Micah 2, this section of scripture, and they say it's going to be in Bethlehem. And so King Herod's like, okay, I've got Bethlehem. I, I, I'm sure they've seen the star, right? So if the star is visible to shepherds and the wise men from the east, King Herod and the scribes and the chief priests have seen the star. I really want to know why they didn't like send somebody to investigate and be like, we know the prophecies, we see the star. But instead, the chief scribes and the chief priests, they go back to their everyday work in the temple. And so Herod secretly calls in the Magi, the wise men, and he tells them um, where to go. But before he tells them where to go, he wants to know exactly when they first saw the star. He wants to know when the baby was supposed to have been born. He wants to kind of like hedge his bets. Because remember, he's a little bit paranoid, and he's probably going to try to seek out and kill the child. Because he does not want a new king of the Jews. And so he, he sends them off. And he secretly plans to have them, he says, go worship the child, find the child, come back to me and tell me where the child is so that I can go worship too, which is not actually his plan. But he sends them out and he um, makes this plan to have the baby killed. And later in the story, we find out that when um, the wise men don't come back to him because they've been warned by God, that Herod makes a decree to have all of the babies under the age of two in the land killed, just to be safe. And so he does this because he's scared, because he doesn't want this power. And so I look at these three like, groups of characters that we have in the story. We have the Magi, who are basically Gentiles. They don't They don't know the Jewish traditions, and they've come from far away on this super dangerous journey to see the newborn king of the Jews. We have King Herod, who hears this news, probably has seen the star, hears the prophecies, and his reaction is to protect himself. Yes. And then we have the chief scribes and the chief priests. And their reaction is to say what happened, say like the prophecies, and go back to their work. Right? So it's super interesting to see all of these three different reactions to the star within Jerusalem. Right? But we're not going to, we're talking about the Magi. So the Magi are on this journey, right? And we don't know what happens after the Magi see the baby. We don't know what their reaction or their interaction with the Christ child brings about in their lives. We don't hear from them again in the story. All we have is their journey. And so when we look at their journey, I feel like it models some of the journeys that we have when we are walking through times that we need a little bit of faith. Um, It kind of reminds me of um, a story from when I was younger 
This spring, right before I graduated from college, I felt this call into ministry, but didn't really know like what to do with it. I had been spending the last two years of college interning at my home church, working with the kids' ministry and the youth ministry, and I was ready to go into ministry, but not ready to like be the youth pastor at a church. Like I was way too young and didn't have any idea of what I was doing. So my high school youth pastor set up a couple of opportunities for me to do some internships, and she found two youth pastors who were willing to take on an intern and um, kind of teach them the ropes of youth ministry. And so I had these two different opportunities, one in Kansas City and one in Michigan. So both churches flew me to their churches to interview and to meet the staff and to get a feel for the church um, in order for me to make this decision between these two places. And so the first one I went to um, was in Muskegon, Michigan. It's a church called Forest Park Covenant Church. Um, And I went there and I visited and they pulled out all the stops. I got to meet the youth. I got to meet a lot of the parents. I got to meet the staff. It was a great church. It's awesome, awesome church. But I flew back home really like not sure what to do. Really not sure if that was the place that God was preparing for me. And a couple weeks later, I flew to Kansas City um, and did the same kind of uh, interaction at a church in Kansas City called Hillcrest Covenant Church. Um, Now, Hillcrest Covenant Church was structured a little bit differently. They had a um, high school youth pastor and a middle school youth pastor, and I would have been interning with both of them. And the day that I arrived was the day that the high school youth pastor um, submitted his letter of resignation. Right? So I, um, like, literally land the plane. We go to lunch, the high school youth pastor, the middle school youth pastor, and me. And then they take me to church, and they put me into the executive uh, pastor's office, which was terrifying at 21. And I sit there, and he tells me that they got the letter of resignation that morning, um, and that if I chose to come, that it would just look different than what I had uh, previously planned. Um, So... And literally, like from that moment on, I did not see the high school youth pastor again the whole weekend. Um, And it wasn't like, it wasn't shocking. He just took a call at another church. Like it wasn't a a bad thing. It just was um, the transition of church ministry. And so I went through the whole weekend and the middle school youth pastor, um, he had spent the whole weekend like dreaming of all the fun things that we could do and saying like we could run this ministry together it would be so fun it would we could like do all these fun things this is how we would restructure it he really wanted me to make sure that I would still get this internship that I was hoping for it would just like look a little bit differently and I would be kind of in this place of um, transition at that at that church and I went home and I prayed about it and I talked about it with my friends and my people um, and I I just felt this need to be at a church that had like stability. I didn't want to go to a church that was in transition. And so um, I had just walked through a lot of transition at my home church. We had um, a senior pastor that had left and a new senior pastor that came. And I was ready to go to a church that just was like stable and I would just learn from the staff and it would be great. So I chose um, Muskegon, Michigan, made all the plans and about two weeks before I um, was supposed to drive across country to Michigan, uh, my, the youth pastor that I'd be working with called me, and he said, hey, I just feel like I need to give you a heads up. And I was like, okay. And he was like, I am planning on interviewing for a church position in Kansas City. <laughs> yes, friends. Uh, 
And I just, I just need you to know that I will probably be transitioning out of this role before your internship is over. Um, and I was like, really? Turns out, here's what I didn't know, the Covenant Youth Pastor world is very small, and these two particular youth pastors grew up together at a church in, in Minnesota and were best friends and had dreamed their entire lives of working together, and now was the opportunity that God was presenting to them that they would get to work together in youth ministry at this church in Kansas City. And so um, this youth pastor in Michigan, he was like, let me, um, I'm just going to give you an out, Okay. You can cut ties with us right now. You can go find another internship. You can do whatever you need to do. We'll be fine. Or you can come here and you can just like stay for the summer and have a summer internship. And at the end of the summer, like we'll see what happens. Um, and so, but the other tricky thing that he said to me was, nobody knows about this. No one at my church knows about this. No one in the youth pastor community knows about this. So you can't tell anybody. I was like, cool. I have to make this decision completely by myself. I mean, I told my mom, because, you know, you tell your mom everything. Um, but I wasn't allowed to tell anyone else. I wasn't allowed to process it. So I just literally had me and God. And I felt God telling me, you just got to make a leap. You just got to try. And so I moved to Michigan thinking, hey, if we get three months out of this thing, it'll be awesome. Turns out I end up getting six months um, at in Michigan. And um, when I left Michigan, I didn't have a plan after that. I just moved back home in December um, of that year and just hoped that I would find something or something would happen. But there was this hope that at this church in Kansas City, they were going to create a new internship for me to come and join them and do ministry at this church. So what I thought was going to be a one-year, super stable, like safe internship turned into a two-year internship at two different churches, and I got to watch this transition of a youth pastor make some really hard decisions about his life and his family and move, and then I got to move basically with them and see how he started new at a brand new church and the transition that all of that takes. And when it came time to end my internship and move on to my next thing, I realized the gift that God had given me in this journey that I would never have chosen for myself. I wanted safe. I wanted easy. I wanted to just go and fall in love with the community and just like be there. If I could have just like gone to an inter to internship and like turned that into a lifetime job, like that would have been the dream. But the reality is the, the ministry that God was preparing me for was one of learning how to lead in the unknown. Learning how to lead in the midst of transition, in the midst of some hard, unsure of what to happen. All throughout the rest of my ministry story, in seminary, at my last church, and even now as we enter into a time of transition here, I realize that this journey that God has brought me on has taught me a lot of lessons on how to lead within transition, how to hold the uncertainty with loose hands. It's not the story that I wanted. It's not the story that I would have written for myself. But it's the story that God gave me to shape me for what was to come. And I think about how God met me in, the, in that season and in that time of my life. And I think about how God met the wise men in their journey, in their season of life. I think it's crazy that these three people 
traveled from far, far away just because of a star, just because they saw this thing in the sky that they couldn't really explain but felt this longing for, and they embarked on this journey, and all we have with the wise men is their journey. And it took some turns and it took some missteps, and some of those missteps had a lot of heartbreak that came along with them. But in the end, they got to the Christ child and they bowed and they worshiped and they gave gifts. And I think about what we learn from this journey of the wise men. First of all, they persevered through the journey, it was a hard journey. The time that Jesus was born into was not a peaceful time. There was a lot of hostility. They went through territories that were unknown for them. They were called out of the familiar to follow this journey. We learned that they were not discouraged, at least not in a way that would end their journey or make them turn back. Even when they ended up in Jerusalem and it wasn't the place that they thought that they needed to be, even probably afterwards when they found out what happened because of their stop in Jerusalem, they kept going. And when they got there, when they entered in and they saw the Christ child, they bowed, they worshipped, and the scripture says they were overjoyed. Not because the journey wasn't hard, but because they found the thing that they were missing, the longing that was in their soul was fulfilled in meeting the Christ child. And this season, as we wrap up Advent and Christmas, I can't help but think that this same invitation that God gave the wise men through the star is given to us. An invitation to step out of the familiar and into something unknown to see God in a brighter light. And I think through all of these different journeys and all of these different um, places in the Bible where we see people following God unknown, into the unknown and into the unfamiliar, and I can't help but think that's what we are called to as well. And I don't know the specifics of the season that you're in right now. I don't know what the unknown is. I don't know what it is that God is calling you into or out of. But I know that there's a star. I know that there's something in your life that is drawing you in and asking you to take a leap of faith. Martin Luther King Jr. says that faith is taking the first step when you can't see the whole staircase. For only in the darkness can you see the stars. Only in the darkness can you see the stars. In the quiet, dark moments, we can see these shining stars from God. And sometimes it's not as simple as a literal star, like shining and giving you the direction. Sometimes it's a conversation with a friend or a scripture that comes to mind or a song on the radio. It's something that just kind of highlights what you need to go into. But friends, where in this life that you're living right now, where is God calling you into a journey? What is keeping you from walking into that journey with God? 
The rest of the Ruth Haley Barton quote that I shared earlier says that we are also invited into a journey. A journey that involves leaving familiar territory in order to seek and find new ways of opening ourselves to God's presence. Even, and perhaps most especially, when we feel our circumstances won't allow for it. There are seasons in our lives that we feel like the circumstances that we're in doesn't allow us to step into the unknown. But maybe that's exactly when God is calling you out of the familiar and into a journey with him. I don't know what that looks like for you in this season, but I encourage you in this week as we celebrate New Year's, as we look forward to a new year, a new decade, that you would think to yourself, you would spend some time with God and you would ask God to show you what that star is. What's that thing that is calling you forward? Our kids are going to enter back in and they're going to come. They can come and color up here as they are ready. But would you pray with me this morning as we enter back into worship? Gracious God, we thank you for the star. We thank you for um, your son. We thank you for the ways that you stepped out of heaven and into the world that we know. God, would you be with us this morning? Would you call us to yourself? As we sing this next song, as we go out into our week, God, would we remember to look for the star? Would we have the faith to take some steps into the unknown and to persevere, God? And when we see you, God, would we be overjoyed and worship you? In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank uh-huh.